Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Comics Books, the podcast where your host Lucy Dancer, that's me, talks to my favourite comedians and comic writers about the books they love. Today's award-winning guest has carved out an incredible career for himself in the UK comedy scene so far, with a string of great Edinburgh Fringe shows, TV appearances on the Now Show, Live from the BBC and Man Like Mobeen, as well as his very own Radio 4 series, Tez Talks. He also wanted to say he's a very proud uncle. Yep, if you hadn't already guessed, it's the hilarious Tez Ilias. Woo, here I am. Um, Lucy, yeah. two, two things. Um, yep. What awards have I won? Because I've not been given them. Oh, it said you won you won an award on Wikipedia. So oh, right, the Wikipedia award. I'll take I that. Think, to be honest, I think it was like in the Pleasance Reserve, but I figured, you know, you should yes. take everything. I will take that. And <laughs> um, Proud Uncle is an overstatement. Oh, you're uh, very excited to write uncle. Just, so. un- I am factually, I'm an uncle. Right. So you wanted to say that, but you're not proud about it. <sighs> it's just, I really, I really um, love them. <laughs> um, but I don't like them. Oh, my mom said that to me once about me. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I don't say, I don't say it to them. Oh, well, my mum just says everything she wants to say. So I need to take a leaf out of your mum's book. She sounds like an amazing woman. Well, I feel like they could they could hear that, though, if they ever decided that they were definitely going to listen to you talking about books on a podcast. I mean, hopefully at that point, they'll be older and more resilient <laughs> to my barbs. <laughs> oh, so how's it been for you? I was just saying, uh, I was doing an earlier recording this morning, and I was just saying, I didn't think at this point I'd still be saying what are you guys doing during lockdown? And it's not strictly lockdown, but I feel like now maybe we're creating a time capsule of a strange period. I think this is worse what we're in now. I, uh, I saw an amazing tweet by a guy and and it got shared. I think it had like 50,000 retweets by the time I saw it. And it just, it just said something like, I much preferred lockdown to this indefinite purgatory we're in now. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, um, I definitely feel the same. I do. At least in lockdown, we knew where we stood. We knew or oh. sat. We knew what was what. In this thing, I'm like, I don't know what the rules are. Well, I assume you've had some reading time. I have. Yeah? Yeah. I've read more this summer. I, I was a massive reader when I was younger. Such yeah. a swat. That was what they called me at school. Uh, but I kind of, not fell out of love, but I fell out of the habit of reading. I would say over the, <laughs> over the last decade. Mm. Um I guess since I got into comedy, really, it's because in my downtime when I'm not doing stand up or when I was I had my day job working, you know, I would I would use that downtime to watch TV, uh, and I love watching TV. I love watching mm. all those box sets and stuff uh, or films. Um, and then I never really got into the habit of reading, especially when I like when I first went to London for work. I had a really long commute, and so I would use that to read. And mm. as soon as I, I did a smart thing of saving my mental health and shortening my commute. Uh, significantly, mm-hmm. then I, I, I didn't really have enough time to even open a book because I was in Brixton to Victoria is no time at all on the, yes, on the, on the Victoria line. So then I didn't really have that time, much time to read. But this summer, I've got back into it, but also for specific reasons, which okay. I don't want to spoil now. We, we'll talk okay. about that at, at the designated part of the show. Of course, um, of but I've, I've read a few things this summer. I read uh, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mall, age 13 and three quarters. Um, was that your first time with Adrian Moore? You know what? I'd never heard of it <gasps> until this year. Oh, I mean, it was slightly before our time, right? Because it was published in 1983, which is the year I was born. 
Okay. So sure. the only way I would have been aware of it is if school had made me aware of it. And they never, it was never a thing that we read in school. It was brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess by the time we got to reading diaries, it was all Diary of a Wimpy Kid. That kind of was our mm-hmm. generation's Adrian Mole. Um, so I wasn't aware of it. And so I read that. And that was a good, fun, light read. It was, it was, I really liked it. Um, and then I read Robert Webb's How to Be a Boy. Okay, I've not read that. That is intimidatingly well written. Uh huh. Like annoyingly, like you're reading it, going, "Oh, this is really well written." Uh, oh, <laughs> like you know, like like when you're watching someone do stand up and they're so good, you can't enjoy it. You're like, "Oh, yeah, it's too good." Really, yeah. really hate this person. I do that when I read a novel now or go to the theatre because I realize the two things I write and I and I yeah. think, "Wow, oh, I love it," but. Sh- oh this is annoyingly you know what that's how I felt about Rick I found it really hard to enjoy Rick and Morty because it's so good it's beyond good it is like one of the best things I've ever seen and I'm like but these people are just human these are human beings who've written this it doesn't seem fair that they've made this because it just seems beyond me but Robert Webb's book is really good I mean Robert it's not Rick and Morty but it is very well written, and I, I was thinking that while I was, re- I was thinking that while it kept taking me out of it, because mm. I just kept reading it, going, "This is really well written." Yeah, yeah, I find that sometimes. Um, and then I read Adam Kay's doctor book, "The Diary oh, yeah. of a Doctor Thing." What's it's it called? Going, this is going to hurt. Yes, this is going to hurt. Yes, I read that as well. Yes, and that was really good. I enjoyed that a lot. And then Nadia, lovely Nadia Hussein. Mm-hmm. Uh, winner of Bake Off fame, and uh, she sent me her autobiography, okay. um, and that was really, really good. I enjoyed that a lot, uh, and that was really good because you know it was we've got a very similar cultural background, so yes. it was interesting to read a book that spoke about a childhood that I more recognised uh, than than uh, than previous autobiographies I've read. You find that doesn't happen a lot for you. Yeah, that I, I don't think I've read a lot of autobiographies from mm. from British Asians, and and so that was really really good. And it obviously, it's someone that I know and love and respect, uh, and so that was really interesting. And some really eye opening details in there that I wasn't aware of because you know why would she? You know, it's not like she wears those things on her sleeves and talks about them every day. Mm. Uh, so you know, there were things in there that I didn't know. And I was like, huh, okay, oh. wow, wow. But she sent me her latest offering. Which is her her baking book, uh, her right. book of book of baking, uh, which I will have to probably give to my sister and <laughs> beg her and beg her to bake. But my sister's a baker and she loves <laughs> to bake uh, and beg her to make me some stuff. But I'm also gluten intolerant, which is which is a damn shame. So so my sister's gonna have to do some substitutions for me. So you said you started reading young. Was that did your yeah. mum encourage you? Oh my or? god, so much. So my mum always encouraged me to read and fortunately I really loved reading so mm. that that was good and I, lo- I, w- I was a sort of kid who was given the, the book at school to read oh t- this is the book for you to read today and I would like probably read it on the way home or like mm. I'd have read it obviously because like kids like at that age as well like kids like books are like super thin like 20 pages yeah. um and I used to get through these books really really quickly I remember when I was in primary school like I'd got through the entire whatever shelf of books they have for your year like I'd got through the entire shelf of books before the end of the first term so yeah I was I really I really love reading and I went to the library we've got a really good library here in Blackburn 
mm. and uh, you can take up to a maximum of six books Ooh. for three weeks. And like clockwork, we'd be there every three weeks exchanging our six books. So uh, I grew up doing that. Mum always encouraged that. When I've been talking to a lot of comedians, it's been really interesting on not so much their background or their family background, but where they've grown up sort of affects what they read. And obviously some of your choices later on reflect kind of race and uh, different countries and religion. I don't think maybe you didn't get that when you were young, but it's definitely something you've interested in as you've grown up. Yeah, definitely in primary school, we the selection of books we were given, I think, were very much just this is what kids read. Mm. And I think looking looking back at like what I what I read in those in my early to mid, probably to even late teens, I'm I'm quite I'm quietly and especially my early especially the primary school to like year now, I probably say up to fourteen. Mm-hmm. Looking back at that, I think I'm quietly annoyed that my teachers didn't give me encouragement to read trickier books. Okay. Because I was still into like, I got massively into like Enid Blight and stuff. So Secret mm-hmm. Seven, Famous Five. Yeah. Or the wish, the magic tree stuff, that the faraway oh, the, tree and all that. Faraway. Yeah, all of, all of that, yeah. all of that stuff. Obviously not Noddy. That would have been obviously, I even I recognised that that was probably too young. But but all that stuff. And like looking back now, I'm like, I was reading that stuff way up way later than I should have been okay. like I should have stopped reading that much earlier than I did and I probably should have moved on to like the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and I didn't get onto the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings until like I was 20 I think oh wow because I was never really encouraged to step up my level because I really loved reading and I was yeah. by far the best reader in my primary school but then I was never given the encouragement like okay you're beyond whatever we've got in the school when you go to the mm-hmm. library here's the list of books you should get out Oh, I loved, I loved the public library. I had my own card. Like when you're 10 and you have your own card, come on, like, ah, oh, you're rich. I, I, felt, I felt rich just by having my library card. It had my name on it. It was mine. It wasn't something that was sharing with someone. It was my own thing. And I flipping loved it. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, for, for too long, I was too much like that, that sort of Enid Blight and stuff, Asterix and Obelix, which is a great, which is great. But I probably should have dropped that sooner than I did and then I got massively into like point horror which I now recognize is trash but not it's what, trash it's everyone's what my... so ashamed of having read point <laughs> horror <laughs> it's all it's so trash <laughs> the killer babysitter and I was like ooh killer babysitter ooh, what's happening in this but you know I feel like I missed out at that age of just reading books that would have been better for me but I think what saved me really was my English teacher, who at the time I probably didn't like very much just because she was very strict and stuff. But yeah. looking back, what a godsend. The, the, the books she gave us to read were phenomenal. Um, and we did this experiment. In, so I went to a, comp, a, a very low achieving comprehensive mm. school. It was like a GCSE pass rate of 30%. It was very rough. But we did an experiment. The, the year I went into my GCSE, so the year I went into year 10, did an experiment for the first time in our school where for English only, they split the boys and the girls up. So they had the boys' top set and a girls' top set. And they'd never done that before. Uh, and so I was in the boys' top set and we had a slightly different reading list to the girls' top set. Oh. Um, yeah, Mrs. Place. I just I was looking I was looking back recently over the books that she made us read over those years. Mm, 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 mm. 
Which amazing one? Amazing book. So, so um, she made us read, some of them are on the list actually, but she made us read Romeo and Juliet, great book. Great. Um, she made us read Brother of the Land. Oh, I didn't know that. So Brother of the Land is a British book actually. It's, it's quite, sh- it's fairly short and it's about a post-apocalyptic world. So there's been a nuclear war Okay. And so this deals with the just the aftermath of that, the nuclear fallout. So virtually mm-hmm. every, you're following this lad, virtually everyone's dead. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all a bit Mad Max. So you're following this lad, his younger brother, and then they meet this girl and they kind of, they form that, they, they, that's, that's their support bubble. Um, <laughs> it's, it's these, these three these three kids. Uh, and they're trying to navigate this world and they meet awful people who try to take advantage of them, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And spoilers, you're not going to read it because it's a kid's book. But at the end of it, the young, the young boy, the younger brother dies. Oh, God. And I just remember, like, it kind of comes out of nowhere a bit. And you're like, what? And then, and then the older brother, like the, protect, the main protagonist, has to bury this younger brother, who's, who is just, who's really struggled to keep alive throughout this whole mm. book. And then he dies at the end of the book. And I remember just being so traumatized by the ending of it and just going, what? I guess you're at that age where you thought, I mean, it's not going to happen. Something bad's not going to happen. Yeah. And especially because these are the people you're following through this book. And up to that point, you know, anything that I'd seen on TV and film hadn't really had an ending like that. And then we read Macbeth, which is my favorite Shakespeare. uh, Mm -hmm. And we read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. So that is Uh, on your list. That is on my list. And um, How to Kill a Mockingbird. Ah, yes. So... We read those books and those, that was the first time I read a book that was, that tackled race. So how old were you then? 15. Wow, okay. 14 to 16, like GCSE years. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting because that is the first time I remember expressly at school, at least, reading something that introduced me to race and prejudice in such a, in such a big affecting way where you think, yeah. oh, this is... This is bad. Yeah. I mean, we it was there in a small way, I think, in Romeo and Juliet, mm. in in that you've got two warring families. Obviously, this, presumably they're the same race, but we have this thing in Pakistan, which is kind of a cast off from a previous culture of a caste system, mm. where it's hopefully it's less so now, but it was definitely more predominant in the 80s and 90s, where it's like, oh, well, they're a different caste to us, so we should marry into their caste and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And so Romeo and Juliet resonated with me on that level, right. where it was like, oh, they're, they're a family. I just, even though there were two families, kind of in my head, it was like, oh, they're that caste, they're that caste. That's mm. why they hate each other, and that's why they're at war with each other. That's how I kind of interpreted it. Mm. That's how I made it more relatable to me. So I had it a little bit with that, and that was quite interesting like how my brain decided to import, imprint my cultural references onto that book. But yeah, definitely How to Kill a Mockingbird and Roll of Thunder Here My Cry was the first time I uh, I came across stuff that felt, even though it was about um, Black American history, it felt significantly more relevant to me than anything I'd read previously. And also, like, I would, I'd, at that age, I'd just gotten into rap as well. So mm. I'd just got into, like... Tupac and Snoop Dogg and Biggie Smalls and and NWA and stuff like so all that sort of angry nineties gangster rap I mm. just got into as well. Uh, so it resonated. So that sort of history I was even more interested in, and and so yeah, they were yeah they were they were great. And so that was kind of when I started getting more my, my evolution of reading 
took another step. Okay. In terms of Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, the reason... So I preferred Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry to To Kill a Mockingbird because Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry was written by a black woman. And so it was interesting to hear that story from a black person's perspective. Yes. And which I'd never seen or heard before I read that book. You know, not not on that topic anyway. Mm. Um and and so that was and it's amazing you had written that the story's about a young girl growing up on a farm in the south of America and mm. and the issues they have with with the local white racists um mm. and stuff. And it's it's an incredible incredible book. So that's interesting that you had a really like natural reaction to what we're now calling, you know, having own voices. Mm. You know, I think it's the same way I felt about the color purple. Yeah, I've not, I've not, yeah, I've not read that. I mean, it's 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 a it's a great book, but yeah, again, it's it almost feels like you couldn't have written that book if you were not a black woman. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. I feel like that comes through in the writing, in the characterization, just. I didn't know anything about it when I read it. And it just, it was one of those books where I didn't need a publishing house to tell me, you know, oh, this is an own voices book or anything like that. You mm. just knew, you just knew when you read it that it was felt so deeply by the person who wrote it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did you read um, 1984? That was on your list. 1984, I probably read at uni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would have read it one summer. I think I think what I ended up doing then was just going on a sort of like best books to read as a nine, whatever year old I was. And then just looking at those books and going, oh, that's a good one. That's okay. I'll read that. I'll read that. I'll read that and stuff. So, but I think I read um, 1984 and Animal Farm almost back to back. And I think I read Animal Farm first. And that book I found incredible just you know the the, the, the entire book's a metaphor right and yeah yeah I found that I found that amazing I found that really like I felt really I think I felt really smug while I was reading it going I understand exactly what he means in this book I know what he's really trying to say and I felt really uh smug about that when I was reading it going yeah I, I don't know if everyone would understand what he's trying to say but I do I get the hidden, even though it's quite on the nose, actually. Back then, I was like, I understand these hidden meanings. Like I was solving some sort of cryptic crossword when obviously it was very on the nose. But um... I had such an opposite reaction, though. I, I had this most incredible teacher who I loved and he explained it so well. But I went to a, I mean, I feel like my voice gives it away. I went to quite like a, a posh all girls school. And I was one of those ones where everyone seemed to get it before me. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, these are some interestingly weird animals. <laughs> and, well, obviously, it's an allegory for what's happening in the Soviet Union. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Of yeah, course. obviously, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> so I remember reading 1984, and that is one of the books that had the biggest impact on my life. As someone like you know, who grew up as a you know British Asian Muslim, so you're kind of a little bit anti. You always feel a little bit anti-establishment anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that book was that book was so great and I really, really loved it. And even, you know, it's timeless. Mm. You know, there is always a government somewhere, even if it's not the one you're living under, there's a government somewhere in the world that is doing something that you can link back to that book. And, you know, he read that, he wrote that in the 50s. And I'm just mm. like, it's just incredible the foresight that some people have. Actually, on a tangent, 
I've just started rewatching Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. <laughs> okay. And season one, episode eight or nine, I can't remember, um, Willow unwittingly unleashes a demon on in the school, but onto their um, school computer. So there's a book, the demon trapped in a book and she scans it into the into the computer, not knowing what she's scanning. Mm-hmm. And and then because the scanner reads the text, it then awakes the demon. But the demon only lives in the computer. But then it starts taking over the computer via the internet, via the local internet and stuff. Uh, bear in mind, this was written in like 1997 or 96, 97, whenever the first season came out. And in that book, they make a reference to like, yeah, that, well, everything's changing. Everything's going online. We're plugged in now. This is the future, the virtual world. This is where we're all going to live. And I'm like, I didn't know that in 1997. Joss Whedon clearly did, or whoever wrote that, whoever wrote that episode. Um, yeah. So I was like, well, some people are really ahead of their time. Because uh, that's basically what's happened. Um, so that's how I felt about, I felt about 1984, what I also felt about Buffy the Vampire Slayer season one, episode okay. eight. Exactly. This is some genius. <laughs> it's weird because that's where, you know, so much has come from that Big Brother using the phrase yeah. all Big Brother's watching you. I mean, double think. Double think, like, like you know, he invented phrases, a bit like Shakespeare, I guess. Like, he invented phrases that we use in everyday language. Like, you can't ask for more than that. No, I mean, it's great. But but it is, I mean, obviously, it's something that we're all, we all thought, thought Thought Police, did he invent that? Thought Police, I think about that all the time now. You know, when you get those adverts on, on yeah. and Amazon sends you an advert for something. Yeah. And, and everyone goes, oh, well, they're not listening to you. And you think, well, maybe, maybe they are. Maybe it's a Thought Police. Who knows? So, so I guess, like, yeah, I'm impressed by it because the story is, seems timeless and, it, you know, it's really well written. But yeah. also by the fact that, you know, George Orwell invented, a bit like Shakespeare, he invented stuff. Like, he invented yeah. a whole language for it. Not language, but whatever, phrase, phraseology for us. A lot. Um, a lot. Yeah. So what an, what an impressive man. When you were talking about stories written you know, a, a story about race written by a black woman. I suppose then that brings us quite naturally to the reluctant fundamentalists. Mm. Um, by maybe you should pronounce the author's name because I'm going to maybe not say it right. I've never heard it out loud. Morsin Hamid. No spoilers on this book, please, because I am just near the end. So okay, so the reluctant fundamentalist is a great book that follows a Pakistani guy. Um, pre and then post 9-11 um, and his sort of I would say political awakening yeah and it was a book that said so many things to me that I'd been thinking but was finding it difficult to articulate or maybe that I didn't even know was thinking but awoke something inside me that was like wow that's been there Mm. clearly for years and I didn't realise. And I would probably say that book radicalised me, I would probably say. Mm-hmm. Not in a not in a scary kind of way, but like in a sort of political way. Yeah, I thought it was great. That There was that bit that... Wait, when did you read it? Sorry. Recently, not like last year or something, but within the last five years. Right. I'd probably say about 20, maybe like 2014, 15, something like that, around then. And I've only read it once. And then I saw the film, which was not... The best. Anyway, so he's, working, so he's working for this consultancy firm, like the number one top consultancy firm in the world. Um, yeah. And then he goes to, is it South America he goes to? It's like, 
Philippines. The Philippines, I think, in the adaptation to go to South America. So he goes to the Philippines to like re to like sort this company out and basically mm. effectively make a whole lot of people redundant. And the and the uh, the boss of the factory or company that he's doing this job for has some like quite stark conversations with him, and mm. he asks him if he's heard of the Janissaries. And the Janissaries are a group of people that uh, the most, I think it might be the Ottomans, and they were kids that they'd kidnapped and then brought up to be loyal to them, mm-hmm. who they then probably used to fight in the future against probably the, the cultures that they'd been kidnapped from. Right, yeah. And he basically implied that that's who the main character was. That's what he. That's what he represented, and I remember reading that, thinking, "Oh my God, is that who I am?" <laughs> and I'm not saying that is who I am, but I remember reading it, going, oh, "I think he's talking about me." <laughs> Shit, and I remember just thinking that it was just inc- incredible, incredible book. I mean, I, I as just as well white British person reading it obviously it's a very different experience for me but what I felt like I feel often nowadays there's a lot of fear around and we don't always understand each other and we don't always articulate things well to each other and I mm. think obviously post 9-11 there was a lot of Islamophobia there was a lot of racism um, and yes, there were people sort of being radicalized to a bit, feeling like, oh, we're not completely accepted in this community. Mm. And I thought this did a really, if, if scary, but a really great job of understanding that slow mental journey that mm. someone else takes. And sort of, I suppose, sort of a warning as to where it is the responsibility of, you know, in this case, the Americans, the sort of white Americans around him to be more careful about the way they're behaving and the things they're assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we all, we all make these mistakes. I mean, cause yeah, cause by the time yeah, at the beginning, obviously the, the story is told in flashbacks. Yeah. And so, you know, he's living in Pakistan yeah. at the beginning of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's telling the story to someone. We don't know who that person is, but an American and telling him the story of, of what he went through and his journey yeah. So, you know, like, yeah, he's obviously been through something, which means that he's now living back in Pakistan full time. Yeah. And so what is that journey? And yeah, you could probably assume that it wasn't necessarily positive. Well, even from the very beginning, he uses words like betrayal and yeah, I yeah, yeah. Know that this would happen. And, and yeah, so you yeah, know, yeah. know that there's a <laughs> that's why I'm And that's why I'm like, don't ruin it. I'm going to finish it in about an hour, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if, if we ever finish this... <laughs> if we ever finish this, but... Actually, I was going to say, your next book that you chose feels different to everything else. And that's yes. The Time Traveller's Wife. I loved The Time <laughs> Traveller's Wife. I did not anticipate this book from you. I love that book. So, again, a disappointing film adaptation. But I loved that book so much. I think I read it probably around 2007, eight, something mm-hmm. like something like that. And I just found it so fascinating. I found it, it's, it throws up so many moral ambiguities mm-hmm. that book because it's 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 I, I thought it was really well done I, I i love sci-fi anyway like i love time travel stuff i know that and even though that's not really i mean really it's a love story it's, it's kind of like 
Can you still say chiclet? Is that is that? Can you still use those words? You can use them. I mean, people. Not everyone likes them. I don't have no problem with them. You can also say women's fiction. Women's fiction. Okay, it felt a bit like that, but also had this overlay of like sci-fi on it, which really yeah. appealed to me. Yeah, um, I didn't necessarily got a lot of male readers, but I don't know. I thought it was great. What you were saying though about the genres colliding is interesting because I think it was an intro I might not have had to sci-fi otherwise. Right. So okay. Because you know. I mean, it was marketed to, to, to me, I would say, to the kind of stuff I was reading, mm. uh, which was more about very character-driven relationships. Um, I liked a lot of kind of American literature, um, but it wasn't marketed as a, as a piece of sci-fi or, or it wouldn't, I don't think I would have picked it up. And I loved it. I loved it a lot. And also it was, oh, I was so, that those last few chapters was so hard. I mean, it's a great love story. Mm. But it's, it is actually like morally uncomfortable in a lot of places. It is, massively. And also it's like, but also it's kind of like, he doesn't control his gift. So it's not like he didn't choose to go where he ends up. Yeah. He would, he would yeah. never have ended up seeing her as a child if, yeah, she, didn't, if she didn't come to him as an adult. Mm. Like that happens as a consequence of her meeting him and telling him what happens. Yeah. And that then, his uncontrollable gift then sends him back to uh, that point. So it's, it's so, like, it's really well, well done. Mm. Because you're like, it's really uncomfortable, but also he's not in control of it. No, it's such a, it's such a good book. Such a good book. I actually completely forgot about it until you brought it up. And then I was like, oh, I love that. I love that so much. And then the ending was so sad as well. But without spoilers. Yeah, yeah, without spoilers. Yes, 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 yes. So, yes, um, some news about your own sort of reading and writing. I am writing a book. Yay! I am writing uh, an autobiography slash memoir uh, okay. about my teenage years, and it is called "The Secret Diary of a British Muslim Aged Thirteen and Three Quarters." Perfect. Uh, so obviously it's non-fiction as opposed uh-huh. to Adrian Mall. Uh, but the editor gave me the title idea and I was like, that's really funny. And, and so it's, it, it encompasses my life from 13 and three quarters to mm-hmm. 18 and a half, which was the age, the exact age I went to university, which mm-hmm. was a couple of weeks after 9-11. Spoilers. Okay. Um, in case you didn't know 9-11 happened. I did uh, know it. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. I mean, this, the, the end of the book isn't, I did 9-11. That wasn't, that's not how the book ends. It was or maybe just, it is, that's spoilers. I have a really good alibi. Okay. I was in Huddersfield okay. on that day. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's a book about growing up in Blackburn, uh, you know, the normal things you go through as a teenager, all your uh-huh. unrequited crushes and all of those things and, and, and your difficulty in connecting with people your own age and all that stuff. But then also layers of, my identity, being Pakistani, being British Muslim, what that meant growing up in that world, mm-hmm. um, you know, f- family difficulties. I had quite a turbulent childhood during that period, uh, which I think people will, which I think will come as a bit of a shock to people, um, some of the things that I had to go through. Um, not that they're unique necessarily, but I think they're unique to my circumstances. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm trying to make it, funny sad poignant all of those things um i've currently 
<laughs> my first draft was 114,000 words and the target was 80,000. So I have way overwritten. Yeah, so I've given it to my editor and I'm looking forward to all her red red marks. And she's great. So uh, I'm sure that I think the next step is a painful back and forth between us probably for a couple of months until we get it down, until we get it to the book that I want people to read. When's it due out? It's out on my birthday, the 8th of April, 2021. And it's available to pre-order right now from tezilias.com slash hello. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you. And maybe in five years time, uh, you'll interview someone and my book will be one of their favorite books. Maybe. Let's wait and see. Season 12 of this show. Oh God. Do you think I'll be meeting people in person by then? Um, I, I bloody hope so. But maybe one of those air bubble pockets, in those big air bubble things. Oh, that would be nice. Maybe in one of those. Before we go, would you like to choose an independent bookstore to give a shout out to? Yes. Um, annoyingly, I can't think of any local to me. So I even did a quick Google just to cheat. And there wasn't really anything that I could see. So, you know, there was W.H. Smith and all that stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give them a shout. I think people are aware of old Winston Smith. Um, I don't know if that's his name. Um, so I cho- I've chosen one that I have been to. Okay. And it is Notting Hill Book Exchange. Lovely. Uh, which is around the corner from Notting Hill Gate Station uh-huh. on, let me get the road. It's in Portobello, Notting Hill area. And the um, name of the road, if you like to see it, is Pembridge Road. So it's either number 30 or number 34 Pembridge Road. It's next to not, if you put in Google Maps, Notting Hill Comic Exchange. So I was going to say Russell Hicks on his episode chose Notting Hill Comic Exchange. Did it? So it's literally next door to Notting Hill Comic Exchange. Do a double visit, guys. Yeah. So go to Notting Hill Book Exchange and then you can go to Notting Hill Comic Exchange and get your Batmans. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been a delight. Thank you very much. And yeah, thank you for a lovely trip down memory lane. Oh, thank you. Have a lovely week. Thank you very much. Also, if you haven't, go see my comedy stand-up special, Testify. That is on my YouTube channel. But all the links for everything I've ever done are on tezilias.com slash hello. Correct. And also in the link of this podcast notes. And go follow Lucy and all the things that she writes and does because she's wonderful. Why, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Comics Books. Hopefully you've had a chuckle, learned something new, and most importantly, added some reads to your list. You can find full listings of all the books we talked about today in the show notes. If you enjoyed the podcast, it'd help us out massively if you could leave us a review on your listening platform. And finally, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Comics Books Pod. 